go. <sighs> well, let's see. We're in final chapter of Second Kings. So, and we'll be looking a little bit like we've been doing the last couple of weeks into Second Chronicles. Because Second Chronicles has a very interesting ending. Um, so we'll get to that at the appropriate time. So let's see. Uh, 2 Kings 25. Gabrielle, would you like to help out with this? Make sure you get one for yourself and everybody else. Gets one. Okay, it should be enough. <laughs> and I think Shinoa is dealing with one of the little guys, so if you want to make sure she gets... Is Brianna doing the same thing? No? Yeah, give Alex three of them then. friend. Appreciate that. Alrighty. <coughs> uh, Josiah, did you get a study guide? Did Josiah get one? Did you get one of these? Yeah, yeah okay. Very good. <coughs> okay, excuse me. I get my notes. Alrighty, so here we go. Let's see. Uh, we'll start off with the word of prayer. Again, and ask God's blessing on our study. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for tonight and for the opportunity to study your word. Lord, we confess that we're unworthy of the least of your mercies. And even though we're sorry for our sins, Lord, we rejoice in your grace and your kindness to us. And so be with us this night and bless us. And we thank you, Lord, for the history, Lord, of your people. And we see your faithfulness. We also see how you love your people and how you also hate evil, Lord, and uh, deal even with your own, Lord, when they turn away from you. So give us grace to learn the lessons that we need to learn from the history of Israel, and even our history, Lord, as we're connected to them uh, in your Son, Jesus Christ. So bless us now and be with us and guide us and be our teacher, we pray, by your word and spirit. In Jesus Christ's name we ask this. Amen. Okay, chapter 25. You remember we're starting to see the decline of pretty much everything in Judah. Uh, the northern kingdom had fallen about a hundred years before, approximately, the century before, maybe is a better way of saying that. And so we had then uh, Manasseh in the southern kingdom, who was horrible, except right at the end of his life, it seems he repented, and then uh, he had a son, was it uh, uh, Ammon, and Ammon was on the throne only two years, but he was a very wicked king, and then his son Josiah came to the throne. This is all the way back in chapter 22. And Josiah was king for 31 years, and we keep going back and kind of looking at Josiah because it was such a wonderful time in Israel's history and so unique because Josiah did everything God said a king should do. He honored the Lord. He put the Lord first in his life. And he got rid of idolatry in Judah. 
And because the northern kingdom, at least by the way of its government, had been swept away and most of the population had been taken out also, he went up and destroyed all the altars that were in Israel. So for a short period of time, it's almost as if the kingdom was reunited again. And then he died in battle. If you remember, he went up to fight against Pharaoh Necho. Um, and Pharaoh Necho said, don't do this. And he did. And he died. So he came back. And then his son came to the throne. And that was uh, Jehoiahaz. He was only on the throne three months. And then Pharaoh came and got rid of him and put um, uh, Eliakim on the throne. He was a son of Josiah also. And he renamed him Jehoiakim. Some of these Jehoiahs, you know, there's Jehoiakim, and then after him is Jehoiachin. You have a Memnonic to remember that? I would like to know what it is, okay? So anyway, so Jehoiakim is on the throne. And if you want to read more about these guys, you can go to the book of Jeremiah. And when it says that, all these kings after Josiah, it was said they did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. So none of them were really good kings. There's a little bit of a mixed bag at a certain point, even with Zedekiah. If you read in uh, the book of Jeremiah, you'll find Zedekiah talked to Jeremiah and asked him, what's going to happen? What's going on? I need you know, some advice. He never followed anything Jeremiah told him to do, but at least he did you know, help him. And at one point, he actually pulled him out, dear Jeremiah, out of a pit that they'd thrown him in. So, um, none of the kings were totally evil, okay? Well, except maybe Manasseh for a while and, uh, you know, uh, Ahaz. But uh, Jehoiakim comes to the throne. He's a pretty bad king. And then uh, he's on the throne for 11 years. And then um, Nebuchadnezzar starts coming in. Uh, Judah is starting to get overrun. And then Jehoiakim... Uh, is becomes Jehoiachin rather becomes king after after him. Uh, I'm trying to see where we yeah the uh, in chapter 24, Jehoiachin he reigned three months, uh, not very long, and then uh, he was gone and he did evil in the sight of the Lord. And I said you got to work pretty fast to be on the throne only three months and have it said you did evil in the sight of the Lord. Uh, God knew his heart though. Well, then Jerusalem falls, and Zedekiah puts up a fight, and we go to chapter 24, and if we look at, uh, what is it, verse 23, um, the, the city is initially taken, there's the first captivity, we call it, and then we find that the you know, city is getting more and more hammered and beaten, and then we come to... Um, Chapter 25, and so here we find the final captivity. So the Babylonians came once and took the city, took out a whole bunch of people. We saw last week, remember the study guide last week, the memory verse uh, had to do with just that, that first captivity where the Lord told them, this is in Jeremiah 24, if you have your copy, it says, thus the Lord, the God of Israel, Oh, thus says the Lord, like these good figs, this is God speaking to Jeremiah, uh, and he saw a basket of good figs and bad ones, and, and God said, like these good figs, so will I acknowledge those who are carried away captive from Judah, whom I have set, sent out of this place for their own good into the land of the Chaldeans. For I will set my eyes on them for good, and I will bring them back to this land. I will build them and not pull them down, and I will plant them and not pluck them up. 
Then I will give them a heart to know me, that I am the Lord, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God, for they shall return to me with their whole heart. So there's a promise, that first group of captives, he said these are the ones that, basically, uh, it sounds like he's talking about the elect, you know, that was the ones that were going to come go on to know the Lord. The ones that remain, including Zedekiah, who became king, um, they, by their wickedness, had the city destroyed. When uh, chapter 25 starts, we're told, Now it came to pass in the ninth year of his reign, in the tenth month, on the tenth day of the month, that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and all his army came against Jerusalem and encamped against it. And they built a siege wall against it all around, because there was a big wall around Jerusalem, so they started piling up dirt and stuff to build up a ramp, okay, so they could just walk in. And they did. It said, so the city was besieged until the 11th year of King Zedekiah. So it took a few years for this to happen. There are three years, 9, 10, and 11, or at least two and a half years or so. By the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine had become so severe uh, in the city that there was no food for the people of the land. So things got really, really bad. And I wanted to mention in uh, Jeremiah... Let me get this right here. I believe it's Jeremiah 31. No, Jeremiah 39. That's what we want. If somebody wants to turn to Jeremiah 39 and read verses 1 and 2. Somebody has it. Raise your hand when you get there. Jeremiah 39, verses 1 and 2. See, because in, in Kings you're given the date when the Babylonian army arrived. And then you're told when the famine got real severe, okay, uh, and that was in the ninth day of the fourth month, so they quickly ran out of food. So uh, go ahead, uh, uh, Alex. What was that second date? The, the what now? The, and the second date was the 11th year of Zedekiah in the fourth month, on the ninth day of the month. Okay, so we're talking about the famine being severe. So that uh, Jeremiah gives us the, the date that it, it was. Now, was that talking about the famine there or about when it was taken? That was the, it says the fall of Jerusalem. Yeah, okay, that's when it fell. It's usually understood um, to be in six excuse me, 586 B.C., okay? I've got some notes over here to help with the, the time. So the city was taken, all right? Um, and there was no food. Then in verse 2, we're told, then the city wall was broken through. That's what we just read about in Jeremiah. And the men of war fled at night by way of the gate between the two walls, which was by the king's garden, even though the Chaldeans were still encamped all around about the city. And Jeremiah tells us the same thing, that when Zedekiah got word that the Babylonians had breached the wall, they went out, there was, you know, the king had a garden, and they went, there was a gate through the wall there, probably pretty well hidden, and uh, Zedekiah and most of his army, his, at least his, the ones that were close to him, went out to try to escape, and then we read uh, that that was unsuccessful, 
uh, which reads, the king went out by way of the plain. So he's trying to head to Jericho. He's trying to get out of there, head maybe to Moab or somewhere like that. Uh, but the army of the Chaldeans pursued the king. Well, the Chaldeans' horses were well fed, and their chariots were fresh. Um, in, in Jerusalem, there was virtually no, no fodder or food or things for the horses. So, uh, And those were the horses that hadn't gotten eaten. So, um, But they were told, and they, that is the army of Babylon, overtook him in the plain of Jericho. All his army was scattered from him. So they took the king and brought him up to the king of Babylon at Riblah. Now, if you read Jeremiah, Jeremiah told the king, if you will go out and surrender to Nebuchadnezzar, you won't hurt you. And Zedekiah said, well, I'm afraid of the Jews that have already gone over, that they'll, they'll turn me over to them and they'll kill me. And he said, and Jeremiah told him by the word of the Lord, he said, they're not going to hurt you. You just need to obey the Lord. So God pleaded with Zedekiah multiple times, you know, to go over. He said, and Jeremiah told him, and if you don't, you're going to cause disaster to your own family, and the city is going to be burned because of you. So you need to do this. But Zedekiah, apparently he listened to everybody except God, or you know, God's servant, Jeremiah. So we're told that they, they capture him, they bring him up to Riblah, um, and the king of Babylon is there. And they pronounced judgment on him. Then they killed the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes. So they took all of his children and killed him right there. And put out the eyes of Zedekiah. So the last thing Zedekiah saw was his own children being butchered. They bound him with bronze fetters. Okay, you can be sure they were heavy. So he's there, his children have been, his family is destroyed, he is blinded. And now they put him in bronze fetters probably on his hands and feet. And they took him to Babylon. <clears throat> so there he is, okay? Um, the message was, you don't rebel against Nebuchadnezzar. So then we read on, though. It says, and in the fifth month, on the seventh day of the month, which was the 19th year of King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, Nebuzaradan, he comes up quite a bit in this period of history, Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, a servant of the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem. He burned the house of the Lord and the king's house, and all the houses of Jerusalem, that is, all the houses of the great, he burned with fire. Now, that one little statement there, he didn't burn the houses, apparently, of the poor people, people because it mentions the people that didn't have anything in a moment. But he comes and he basically destroys the city. He burns the king's house. He burns down the house of the Lord. He destroyed the temple. Okay, that is generally um, understood. That's 586 B.C. And it's actually the date is remembered among uh, the uh, Jews as being, uh, what was it, in August of uh, 8, excuse me, five, 586. That's 586 years before Christ came. So, he wipes out the city. Uh, all the houses in Jerusalem, that is all the, the houses of the great, he burnt with fire. And all the army of the Chaldeans who were with the captains of the guard broke down the wall of Jerusalem all around. <clears throat> so they made sure this, that Jerusalem was not going to be a place of rebellion any longer. Walls were defensive. Keep in mind, this is before they had artillery. They had catapults and things like that. Uh, and they could lay siege mounts, but this is before they had airplanes and things like that, or rockets. So they make sure that, that Jerusalem's not going to have any defense. Whatever's going to happen to this city, it's going to be 
have to come back from a pile of rubble. Then Nebuzaradan, captain of the guard, carried away captive the rest of the people who remained in the city and the defectors who had deserted to the king of Babylon with the rest of the multitude. So this is the second deportation, sometimes called the second captivity. So Nebuzaradan takes them all out. But then we read this, and this is interesting, I think, because we're going to see um, a really interesting period in Israel or Judah's history. In verse 12, we're in uh, 2 Kings 25, 12. Do you need a study guide? I have one. Oh, you got one? Yeah. You're good then. All right. So, we're told, that, but the captain of the guard, this is verse 12, but the captain of the guard left some of the poor of the land as vine dressers and farmers. So Nebuzaradan, he knew the poor people who weren't military and who basically had just been workers in the land. He helped them out. He let them be vine dressers and farmers. Uh, the, the bronze, so that, that's just mentioned there. It comes up again a little bit later, but... Uh, the bronze pillars that were in the house of the Lord, if you remember the two giant pillars that went up about 30 feet or so, um, uh, and the carts and the bronze sea that were in the house of the Lord, the Chaldeans broke in pieces and carried their bronze to Babylon. So they busted up everything that had any value is what they're saying. They also took away the pots, the shovels, the trimmers, the spoons, and all the bronze utensils with which the priest ministered. So they took all the hardware that was used in the worship of God. Now this comes up later, if you know, in the book of Daniel, remember? Uh, when the king of Babylon is having a feast, Nebuchadnezzar's grandson, and he brings out all the vessels from the temple, and he's using them to get drunk with his buddies, and they're praising all their false gods. And that's when he looks over, and he sees, I mentioned this last week also, he sees a, a hand appear and write on the wall, Mine, mine, tekel, ufarsin, and he doesn't know what it means, and he's freaking out because this is clearly some portentous event. What was actually going on at that time, in those hours, the army of the Medes and the Persians was marching under the wall of Babylon, getting ready to conquer the city. They were on their way, and so finally they called Daniel, and he interprets it and tells them, uh, Mine, mine, it means you've been weighed in the balances and found wanting. And Ufarsin means the, 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 the Persians are going to take your kingdom away. And so he died that night, not Daniel, but the king. And so it was, uh, you know, the, the utensils in the Lord's service, they'd been kept in storage. And so they were beautiful looking. And so they, he used them and cost him his life. Later on, when Cyrus allows them to go back in the books of Ezra, and primarily Ezra, but also Ezra and Nehemiah, he allows them to take all the utensils for the worship of God that had been captured by the Babylonians to take them back to Jerusalem. So it's an interesting thing. But if you see here, they left nothing. Okay, They took everything, basically, that could be of any service. And the temple's been burned, but so he empties it out of all of its, uh, as I say, all the hardware that was used. So, um, so the two pillars, etc., um, let's see here, where were we at? So he takes all of that, and in verse 16 again, the two pillars, uh, one sea, and the carts which Solomon had made for the house of the Lord, the bronze of all these articles was beyond measure. The height of one pillar was 18 cubits. Everybody remember what a cubit is, how long it is? Uh, Eric? Yeah, it's... Uh, 
Yeah, generally about 18 inches, okay? So I always, the way you do is just whatever it is, 18 cubits, just divide it by two, that's how many yards you got, okay? So uh, it was nine yards, and there's three feet in the yard, so. So how tall was it? How tall were the pillars? In, in quarter inches, no, I'm kidding. In, uh, yeah, you've got, Eric, help us with the math. Is it 18 cubits? Well, you've got 18, 18 cubits, which comes back to nine yards. 18 times 1.5. Pardon me? 18 times 1.5. I heard everything except the. So that'd be 22 cubits. Okay, they're pretty high. Okay, so there's there's a lot of brass or bronze went into these. Okay, so sorry, Zach didn't mean to put you on the spot there. Okay, he's getting ready to kick his shoes off. Try to do that calculation. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> what I have to do. Don't feel bad. Okay? Uh, so these were these had a lot of bronze in them, okay? So they were valuable. And the network, the pomegranates, and all around the capital, that is the top of these pillars, were all of bronze. That's why it works out to about 30 feet in height. The second pillar was the same with the network, so there was all kinds of fancy stuff up top. They were very beautiful, okay? Uh, and the captain of the guard took Seraiah, the chief priest, these are all people in leadership positions. Zephaniah, the second priest, and the three doorkeepers. He also took out of the city an officer who had charge of the men of war, five men of the king, of, excuse me, of the king's close associates who were found in the city, the chief recruiting officer of the army. So these are the guys that organized the government of Zedekiah. Uh, who mustered the people of the land, and 60 men of the people of the land who were found in the city, probably hiding. Okay, there's a lot of underground networking in Jerusalem. It has been since ancient times. So he f captures all these guys. So Nebuzaradan, captain of the guard, took these men and brought them to the king of Babylon at Riblah. So he brings them up there. Then the king of Babylon struck them and put them to death at Riblah in the land of Hamath. So... The king of Babylon made sure, Nebuchadnezzar, he made sure. You want to check and see why it went off? That's kind of what alarms are for. Either there might be some thief out there going, man, I'm so glad he shut that off. Okay. What car did you bring? Huh? There goes, no kidding. <laughs> All right. Uh, so these are the fellows that could have organized any rebellion against Nebuchadnezzar. So again, they're making absolutely certain that there's nobody left in Jerusalem that could cause any problems. They're done playing around with Zedekiah and his government. And we're told, thus Judah was carried away captive from its own land. All right, so... That's what's going on. There's still some people in the land, though. There's still, you know, the poor people are there and a few others. And so this is the interesting interval. Then he made Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, governor over the people who remained in the land of Judah. So he puts Gedaliah in charge. He said, look, there's still people here. We find out later there was still a lot of soldiers out in the field. You know, the army had been scattered, and they just took off. They knew where to hide. So they were living out kind of in the wilderness area. And uh, we see there's a lot of people there. So Gedaliah is made governor of the city. Um, 
And so it says the ones that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had left. Now when all the captains of the armies, they and their men, heard that the king of Babylon had made Gedaliah governor, they came to Gedaliah at Mizpah. So these guys that were out in the field, they hear that Gedaliah is there, and they know he's a pretty good guy. So they, they go to him. They're not trying to be rebellious. They're just trying to find out what their future might be. And we're told Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, Johanan, the son of Kareah, Sariah, the son of Tanhumeth, the Netophathite, and Jeazaniah, the son of a male. Uh, and Gedaliah, this is interesting, we get some insight into Gedaliah's character. And Gedaliah took an oath before them and their men and said to them, Do not be afraid of the servants of the Chaldeans. Dwell in the land and serve the king of Babylon, and it shall be well with you. Now Jeremiah really expands on this because he was in the land at this time. Uh, we find out in the book of Jeremiah that uh, when they took over Jerusalem, he was in the court of the prison, and initially he was put in chains and taken away with the others, but they found out who he was, basically, and that he had told the people of Jerusalem that the king of Babylon was going to prevail, and they needed to submit to him. Other people that had gone out and gone over to the Babylonians, they knew Jeremiah had been trying to rebuke Zedekiah and get him to come to his senses. So once the Babylonians were informed of Jeremiah, they let him go free. And they told him, you can stay in the land. You're not our enemy. So it's interesting. Once they conquered the Babylonians, these guys are pretty cruel, okay? And what they did, and we read about that, they were very uh, thorough in making sure there was going to be no future rebellion. But as far as the poor were concerned, they looked out for them. They allowed them to stay in the land. It was to their benefit, because the Babylonians would receive part of the produce and the uh, income from the people that were left. So we're told he stayed in the, uh, the land, people starting to come back. So all it does now, it just shifts to what Ishmael does. But in Jeremiah, we find out that some of the men that had come in told Gedaliah, they knew from their own uh, sources, that Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, has conspired with Baalus, the king of Moab, to rebel against the king of Babylon, and uh, Ishmael is going to kill you, and basically because Ishmael is of the royal family, he's going to declare himself king. And Gedaliah, we're told, he would have nothing with that. He just said, no way. He said, you're speaking ill of this young man. This, you know, uh, and Ishmael was there eating at Gedaliah's table. Ishmael is basically is pretty close to being like a Judas Iscariot character at this time. So... Uh, Gedaliah doesn't believe Jonathan, because at one point, Johanan, uh, he didn't believe him. And Johanan actually, at one point, said, let me just go out privately, you know, go for a walk with Ishmael, make sure I'm the only one that comes back, basically is what he was saying. He says that nobody needs to know about it. And um, Gedaliah was like, no, that, that's not what we're going to do. So Gedaliah allowed Ishmael to continue to eat at his table. And then we read the next few verses. But it happened, we're told, in the seventh month that Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, the son of Elishama, of the royal family, came with ten men and struck and killed Gedaliah. The Jews, so this guy was just killing people, uh, as well as the Chaldeans, that is the Babylonians, who were with him at Mizpah. So they go in and they kill Gedaliah and everybody that's in the town at that time. Okay? Um, 
again, if you want to read in Jeremiah, there's a whole lot more. Uh, I've got the Jeremiah chapter 40, verses 16 through 13 through 16, uh, fills a lot of this in. He killed them, and then others came the next day, a bunch of men, uh, and he killed all of them. And then he took all the people, and he fled away. Um, and then Jonathan, uh, Johanan, rather, and the others went after him. Uh, and they got all the people back. And then, that, so this ends, you know, here in Kings, just with uh, him killing Gedaliah. We're told that all the people, small and great, the captains of the armies, and, and uh, arose and went to Egypt, for they were afraid of the Chaldeans. The full story is, is that first they went back, got all the people from uh, Ishmael, but he escaped, and he went to the uh, Amorites. And so Ishmael got away, and the people that were left were terrified of the Babylonians. They said, Ishmael just killed the governor, plus a bunch of Babylonians, and the king of Babylon is going to come back here and kill everybody that he can find. So they said, the smartest thing we can do is go to Egypt. Just get away from here as quick as we can before word gets back to Babylon, and he sends out a massive army to destroy us all. Well, Jeremiah was there, and Jeremiah told them, by the way, I'm telling you all this without you know, reading the chapter, so you can look it up in Jeremiah, around chapter 40 is where this is found. Um, Jeremiah tells them, stay put. When the Bab army of Babylon comes here, they're going to find out that the guy that did this took off, and they're not going to kill you guys. Okay, so, because they asked him, they came to Jeremiah, the captain of the armies of Judah that was left there. They came to him and they said, what, do, what should we do? Please tell us, you know, they knew Jeremiah was a true prophet. And that's really a sad chapter because, but you see the same problem that Israel and Judah had had all along. They come to the prophet, they say, what should we do? And then he goes and prays and comes back and tells them. And then they go, no way, we're not going to do that. What are you, crazy? He's like, I just, you wanted to know, I just told you. Go, no, no, we're not going to do that. So basically they wanted to hear, they were hoping Jeremiah was going to come back and tell them what they'd already decided to do. Let me tell you, as a pastor, I fully understand <laughs> this, this passage of scripture, okay? Like, oh, pastor, please confirm my already preconceived plan uh, through pastoral counseling. And it's like, well, no, maybe not. And they're like, what do you know? You're just trying to cause problems. I don't claim to be a prophet, Okay. But a few things I can predict, all right? <laughs> you know, you can see something's coming. So anyway, uh, so Jeremiah tells them, stay put. And they go, no, we're not going to do that. So then he tells them, if you go to Egypt, guess what? Nebuchadnezzar's going to go to Egypt, and he's going to get you there. Egypt is not going to be any place, a safe place. And if you read the book of Jeremiah, you will find out real quick that the king of Babylon did exactly what Jeremiah said. So... All the captains of the army of Judah that had been left and all the people that were in the land that were supposed to be there. And they actually were bringing in harvest that summer. They were, it was a really an abundant harvest also. They all leave and flee to Egypt as quick as they can. And they take Jeremiah with them. But again, when Nebuchadnezzar got down there, Jeremiah, actually we're not really told a whole lot about what happened to him after that. Uh, there's some that say he, he died in Egypt. Others say he was brought back. But... Uh, you know, you'd have to do some research on that on your own. I'll leave that in your hands to find out what happened to Jeremiah. Okay, see if you can find out. Um, so they go down, and so now Judah is basically a howling wasteland at this point. 
Okay, everybody has fled. The Babylonians have not brought in other nations. And so it's going to lie empty for 70 years. And so King, 2 Kings ends interestingly because the land was said it was going to lie fallow for 70 years. Now, real quick, before we end in Kings, like I said, there's a lot of stuff that comes together. If you go to 2 Chronicles, okay, and that's the next two books, 1 Chronicles and then 2 Chronicles uh, 36, I think it is. Um, Chronicle supplies tons of information in all of this, okay? Uh, so really to, to read the finishing part of the history of Judah, Zedekiah uh, and his reign are talked about up until um, verse 14. And then we read, I'm going to begin, this is Second Chronicles 36 at verse 15. Uh, and the Lord God of their fathers sent warnings to them. It's talking about before the disaster struck, okay? Sent warnings to them by his messengers, rising up early and sending them, because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they mocked the messengers of God, despised his words, that is God's words, and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people till there was no remedy. That's really sad. That means they'd ignored God's word until it couldn't be fixed. That means that doesn't mean God couldn't. It just means they had given themselves over to disobeying God, and so finally God gave them over to disobedient hearts. So that statement's a pretty, it's a sobering statement, and it's a sad statement. It says they, they rebelled against the word of the Lord until there was no remedy. Scripture says, he that hardens his neck, being often reproved, shall suddenly be uh, destroyed without remedy. So that does come up elsewhere in Scripture. Okay? Uh, Therefore he brought against them the king of the Chaldeans, that's another name for Babylonians, who killed their young men with the sword in the house of their sanctuary. And so you get an insight into the battles that were fought in Jerusalem. There was, they were, there was fighting in the temple. Uh, and had no compassion on a young man or virgin, on the aged or the weak. He gave them all into his hand. That is, God gave them into the king of Babylon's hand. And all the articles from the house of God, great and small, the treasures of the house of the Lord, and the treasures of the king and of his leaders, all these he, that is the king of Babylon, took to Babylon. Then they burned the house of God, broke down the wall of Jerusalem, turned all its palaces, burned all its palaces with fire, and destroyed all its precious possessions. And those who escaped from the sword he carried away to Babylon, where they became servants to him and his sons until the rule of the kingdom of Persia. And then note, this is what we find in Chronicles, why it's important. To fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed her Sabbaths. As long as she lay desolate, she kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. Because remember, Israel, every seventh day, the Sabbath day. Every seventh year was the year of release. Every, uh, what was it, 40, every 50th year, as you have seven times seven, that's 49. Every 50th year was also the year of Jubilee, which would follow on that seventh year, the 49th and the 50th. So you had two years of Sabbath rest. So they were supposed to actually not plow, not sow, and have a... Everybody was to rest for a whole year 
okay, every uh, 50th year, but also in the Sabbath years they were told uh, they could eat what grew up by itself, but they weren't to sow and they weren't to try to do anything agriculturally and they were to, you know, just rest, let the land rest. They never did that. So you can get an insight. So if the land had to rest 70 years, how many years had they been in the land before they were taken into captivity? Pretty easy to do that math, right? What would be 70 times, or uh, what was that? yeah, seven, well, anyway, se yeah, 70, I'm trying to get this right here. I know the number, I'm just trying to figure out how to frame it. It's 490 years is what we're talking about. So from the days of the conquest of Joshua until the captivity here, or you could say from, you know, early on from the, the time of the kingdom, they hadn't kept the Sabbath years at all. And so God said, no, they're going to, they're going to risk. This is really true on a lot of things. You know, this comes up, uh, you know, there's a lot of debate. People say, oh, you don't have to set a day aside. That's foolishness. Or, oh, you don't have to tithe. It's like, yeah, you know what? God's going to get what's his one way or the other. Okay. You're either going to give it or you're going to wonder where on earth happened to all my money. You know, um, like they say, one guy said, uh, what was the statement he made? Not everyone who ties is without some financial difficulty, but he discovered that most people who, uh, Christians anyway, that didn't honor God uh, with the tithe, uh, they pretty much always had problems. <laughs> you know, so same thing too, you know, setting the Lord's Day aside for Christians. You know, we're not under the law as, you know, for justification or anything like that, but the law does speak to us as image bearers when we don't honor God. And, we, and the whole thing, you know, well, the 49th year, and the 50th year, and the 7th year, do we have to do that as Christians? Generally, that's understood to be either ceremonial, uh, it expired with the Mosaic law, because that wasn't in place before Moses, and the Mosaic administration was finished. But the Sabbath itself is part of the Ten Commandments, the idea of, you know, the Christ is our Sabbath rest. We rest in him. That's the Sabbath. But then the proportional aspect of the command, one day and seven. But it's interesting because, you know, when people don't bother to, you know, like, I don't have to do that. We're not under the law. And it's like, you know, generally, I always remember some friends of mine told me they, had, they knew a farmer. He'd always be out plowing on Sunday, you know, and then they'd see his tractor broke down on Monday or Tuesday out in the field. And he'd be working because he ended up having to take a day to fix it. So... God will get his Sabbath rest. You know, they belong to him. Uh, so like we always say, a tenth of your income and a seventh of your time actually belongs to God. And look at Israel. They, they, it worked out pretty well for them, didn't it, when they ignored God's word? It's like, uh, no, it didn't actually. Okay, so note what it says. Jeremiah had warned them. God warned them. They ignored it until the land had her Sabbath rest. As long as she lay desolate, she kept Sabbath to fulfill 70 years. And so the ending here, now we come back, and so we find that, in that after 37 years of captivity, that's a long time, uh, back in 2 Kings now, okay, uh, 27. Now it came to pass in the 37th year of the captivity of Jehoiachin, king of Judah. Remember Jehoiachin? He was taken away um, in the first captivity. In the 12th month, on the 27th day of the month, that evil Merodach, but that's just a Babylonian name. It's not evil, like, that's not an English word. So nobody named their kid, hey, this is my kid, evil. Okay. Uh, uh, you know, this is. Unless you want to evil. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. yeah. That wasn't evil, was it? I guess it was. It wasn't spelled the same. Right? Yeah, okay, good. All right, yeah. But they named him Evil Merodach. Okay, that just, that's a, just a name. I'm not actually sure what it means, but. 
Uh, well, let's see. What the, is there a note here? Does it say in my Bible? Man of Marduk. Okay, so that's what that meant. He was a, his parents were worshippers of Marduk. Or he took that name when he became king. So anyway, evil Merodach, king of Babylon, uh, in, the year, in, that, in the year that he began to reign, released Jehoiachin, king of Judah, from prison. So he becomes king, and he is aware that there's one of the kings of Judah still held in their prison. For 37 years, this guy has been there. And so he lets him out of prison. Um, this is not Zedekiah, okay? This is Jehoiachin. Uh, he spoke kindly to him and gave him a more prominent seat than those of the kings who were with him in Babylon. So at this point, the Jews begin to be shown favor by the Babylonians, um, which is pretty, pretty good for their sake. Uh, so Jehoiachin changed from his prison garments, and he ate bread regularly before the king all the days of his life. And as for his provisions, there was a regular ration given him by the king, that is, evil Merodach, a portion for each day, all the days of his life. So the king of Babylon made sure that uh, he, he was fed. Um, now, in Chronicles, it ends a little differently because we have this statement from the middle, and I just want to read this so we've actually finished the history, okay? Uh, the proclamation of Cyrus. So in Second Chronicles 36, in verse 22, we're told... Now, because the kingdom of Babylon falls, like I just talked about when the army of Persia marched under the wall of Babylon, because um, they drained, they re-channeled uh, the Euphrates River, and, and there was a big gap for the river to go through, and they just walked right through it, right through the opening. Now, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, uh, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing, saying, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, All the kingdoms of the earth the Lord God of heaven has given me, and he has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem. Can you imagine if you were a Jew living in the Persian Empire and you heard this is what the king of Persia just decreed? He says, the Lord's told me to go build him a house in Jerusalem. Pretty good news. Which is in Judah. Who is among you of all his people? May the Lord his God be with him and let him go up. Now if you'll flip the page to Jer uh, Ezra. Note what it, how Ezra starts. Now in the first year of Cyrus king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing, saying, there's a little more here, okay? Uh, all the kingdoms of the earth, the Lord God of heaven has given me. And note that, they, it says Jehovah, God of heaven. He's talking about the God of Israel. And he has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is among you of all his people? May his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is God, which is in Jerusalem. And whoever is left in any place where he dwells, let the men of his place help him with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, besides the free will offerings for the house of God, which is at, excuse me, which is in Jerusalem. Then the heads of the fathers' houses of Judah and Benjamin, and the priests and the Levites, with all whose spirits God had moved, 
arose up and built the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem. That's a short version of the story that's to follow here in Ezra and Nehemiah. And all those who were around him encouraged them with articles of silver and gold, with goods and livestock, and with precious things, besides all that was willingly offered. There's a whole bunch more goes on about that. So if you want to start reading Ezra, it might do you some good. Get the follow-up story. So we jump from the destruction up to, you know, we've, we've gapped the 70 years and kind of get a little bit of a picture of what was going on. Um, the book of Daniel tells us what was happening during those 70 years, and also the book of Esther tells us. So it might be uh, good to take a quick look at Esther before we do anything else. So although I'm thinking maybe until the new year comes around, just using Tuesday night to go through some of the Psalms that uh, might be a benefit. So I haven't decided yet what we're going to study next week because we just ran out of Second Kings <laughs> and kind of out of Chronicles. There's a lot there. Okay, so we've covered the material of the history of the kingdom of kingdoms of uh, Israel and Judah. And so now we're looking at the Babylonian captivity. Okay. Uh, any comments or questions or anything? I realize this wasn't a chat session tonight, but most time it isn't anyway. So. All right, well, why don't we...